Psalm 150, and at the end I will say this is the word of the Lord because, yes, indeed, this is the awesome and powerful word of our Lord. And you're going to respond, thanks be to God, because we are very thankful for his word. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbal. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you this morning. With all of our hearts, we praise your holy name. Thank you for all you do for us and for your faithfulness. Open our hearts and our minds and be with us now as we hear your word through our pastor. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. What's up, Sparks? So if you guys are like, who is, what is happening up here? Um, it's good to be with you guys. My name's Nathan Hornback. I'm the lead pastor for Living Stones in Elko. And uh, yeah, it's good to be in the big city with all of you guys. Um, would you please come and teach people how to read the word of God up at my church? Because that's how Psalm 50, 150 should be read, by the way. Also, this is not part of my sermon. I have got to get me one of these big violin things. <laughs> That's so cool. You guys are just killing it up here. Um, but good morning, church. It's seriously really good to be with you guys. It's good to be with family. And uh, I'm pumped to be able to preach God's word today. I'm so excited to be able to end uh, our Redemption Songs sermon series. Uh, and there's no better way to do that than with Psalm 150. And so if you guys would keep your Bibles open, uh, we're going to move through this, Okay. Uh, Psalm 150 is not only the final psalm in the whole book of Psalms itself, but it, it beautifully declares to all of us as readers what truly should be our response to the incredible plan and working of God that we've seen so far throughout the book. Um, it, whenever I, I kind of open up a text or when I look at a specific psalm like Psalm 150, what I like to do is I like to ask myself, um, what is the main point of that scripture? Like, what is the message that this psalm, for example, demands that we all hear? Well, what's the big thing that we're supposed to take away from a passage of scripture? And in this case, with Psalm 150, I think it's incredibly clear. Uh, the big idea of Psalm 150 is this emphatic and powerful exhortation to the reader that because God is worthy, uh, because he's shown his faithfulness and his mercy and his grace, that we as his people are to respond to him in a very specific way. Um, I think you can think of it kind of like this. If, if the question was posed on this, the last day of our journey through the Psalms, ha having, having dove into uh, the incredible themes of creation fall, redemption, and restoration. On, on this last day, if the question was asked to all of us, so what are we supposed to do now with all that we've seen and all that we've heard? 
I think that Psalm 150 answers that question very clearly, right? Look in your Bibles at verse one. And in fact, the first three words of verse one, what does it say? Praise the Lord. So that's the main point of my sermon this morning. Praise the Lord. If you're taking notes, write it down. Praise the Lord. Now this is actually uh, the Hebrew word, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And this is a word that is that is fairly common in Christian circles. It's used in our worship of God. It's used in our musical worship as, as we sang uh, so beautifully this morning. But right off the bat, the final command, the final exhortation to us reading this is to praise the Lord. But, but what does that even mean? How are we supposed to do that? Well, as we read through the text, Psalm 150, we'll see very clearly that it, it tells us where to praise the Lord, for what to praise the Lord, how to praise the Lord, and even who should praise the Lord. Okay, it doesn't waste any time giving us the specifics here. So let's look at that for just a minute. Look in your Bibles at verse one of Psalm 150, and let's read the whole thing this time. It says this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, and praise him in his mighty heavens. Verse one tells us where the Lord is to be praised. We're instructed to praise him in his sanctuary or in his holy place. This would have been the place where sacrifices were made to God, where his, his presence dwelt. But it also is more than that. It also includes the, the earth itself as the dwelling place of God and his people. And, and further, it says we're to praise him in his mighty heavens. This is talking about this the expanse above and beyond us that itself boldly and beautifully declares the power of God. And so just, if you just look at one verse there very practically, in light of who God is, in light of all that God has done, we're to praise him, to declare his glory and power throughout the earth. I mean, it's, it's, it's to the point where we're, we're to go outside and look up and, and when we're overcome by the, the massive expanse of the heavens, we're to celebrate and stand in awe, realizing and remembering, church, that, that our God holds the vastness of the heavens in the palm of his hand. That should do something to us. When we feel small, we're supposed to praise our big God. Praise him. Our God is worthy of praise in all the earth. Well, look at verse two. Verse two tells us what? What do we praise the Lord for? Verse two says this. Praise him for his mighty deeds and praise him according to his excellent greatness. Well, what are those? Like, what are his mighty deeds? I mean, that, that's everything written in this book, right? Like, that's all of it. His excellent greatness. I mean, we could do a sermon series for the rest of the life of the church at large, just praising God for his mighty deeds for his excellent greatness. By the way, that's actually what we're gonna do for all of eternity. <laughs> we're just gonna praise the Lord for his mighty deeds, his excellent greatness. But let's zoom in just a little bit. We, we've seen throughout this series in the book of Psalms, haven't we? The, the whole story of the Bible at large, right? Let, like, let's remember, God created all things by the word of his power. God created all things by the word of his power, including human beings. He created us and it in perfection. 
Adam and Eve, the very first human beings, they, they enjoyed creation, they cultivated it, and meanwhile, they enjoyed this perfect, unbroken relationship with the Father. But when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God through the temptation of the devil, we called this event the fall, right? Their, their sin and rebellion against God brought a curse of death into creation. And now the world, creation itself was broken and just in a devastating way, our relationship with God was severed by sin. And as we kept going, we saw that in spite of that, when it seems like God could have and almost should have just destroyed sinful, rebellious humanity, we read that God was merciful, right? And that like the moment we sin, he makes a promise to redeem us, like to buy us back from the darkness, to, to not let us be slaves to sin and despair. And so God, our father, sends his only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save us. And, and Jesus did what we failed to do, what we could not do. Jesus came into the world and he lived a perfect, sinless life on our behalf. That's the life we can't live, right? Have you ever tried not to sin for five minutes? Like if you make it to five and you go, I did it, that was pride. And you just messed it all up, <laughs> right? See, Jesus comes in and he does it. He perfectly obeys the father in all things. Then he willingly suffers and dies on a Roman cross where the scriptures tell us that Jesus took on himself the sin of the world, that he paid the penalty for our sin, which was death, so that through faith you and I could be forgiven, that we could be clean, that we could have our relationship restored with God again. And that wasn't the end of the story, though, because laying dead in a tomb for three days, we saw that on the third day, Jesus was raised to life again, right? In power, Jesus walks out of that tomb. And he doesn't just disappear. Like we don't just read and Jesus rose again and we just sort of have to kind of go with it. Like Jesus raises to life again from the dead and then appears to hundreds and hundreds of people. He, he puts on display the power of God and before he ascends to heaven, Jesus gives us in his disciples this great commission, Right? this mission that we're to go on to, to share the good news of grace to the ends of the earth. Like we're, we're supposed to go and announce that because of Christ, there's forgiveness for sinners. That, that guilt and shame and fear, they, they no longer have the last word in the lives of those who would put their faith in Christ. And then even now, right? Even now, Jesus Christ is alive, ruling and reigning over all things from the right hand of the Father. And we live now in this period of waiting on the restoration promise of God to be fully realized, waiting for Zion, right? We rejoice as his people. As I, I, I pray with my girls, I have two little girls that we adopted. I pray with them every single night. And when I pray with them, that I, I end every prayer with a, with the hope of restoration with them. This is what I say every single night with them. I, we pray, we pray for Mimi and Poppy and their fish that they don't have. Like it's weird, they pray for like future pets, I don't know. Um, but at the very end of the prayer, I say this with them, holding their hands. I say, and Jesus, even though this world is so messed up, 
thank you that one day you're going to make everything new. So we get to live in this hopeful state of realizing this full restoration promise of God. And what a day that's going to be when everything is made new, when the kingdom of God fully becomes the kingdom of the world and shalom reigns. Man, that, I mean, the story is beautiful that, that sinners like you and me could be in relationship with God again. That, that we could be forgiven of our sin, but not just like forgiven, that, but that we, though undeserving, would actually be loved by God, chosen by God, heard by God, and even delighted in. It's amazing grace, right? Amazing grace. We don't deserve that. The, those alone, that's worthy of an eternity of praise the Lord's, an eternity of hallelujah. In fact, you know, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, like that's, that's the message that I have for you. And that, that's the message of the Bible. The story of the Bible is that there is mercy and grace for sinners in Jesus. There's forgiveness from sin. There is actually hope for a joyful life. I rarely talk to people in this day and age anymore who would describe their life as joyful. There's hope for a joyful life in Jesus very, very real. There's mercy and grace, forgiveness from sin, hope for a joyful life. And maybe, maybe that's hard to believe because, you know, you have a, a, a muddy past maybe, or, or things have happened, or you've done things, and you just don't feel worthy of God's love. You don't think that he could love you. Maybe you just feel like you're a little too far gone for love. You're not. You're not too far gone. As I once heard Pastor Kyle Bateson say, Jesus has an ocean of grace for every drop of sin that we have. You're not too far gone. Jesus has shown his love for you in his life, death, and resurrection. And all you have to do is believe. Put your faith in him. He's done it all. And I'll tell you, Jesus will give you joy like you can't imagine. Joy that you'll find nowhere else. It's because... Being a Christian is not about religion. It, it's not about doing uh, the right things to try to earn grace or be worthy of God's love and make it to the end and have God let you into heaven because your good deeds outweighed your bads. That's not what the story of the Bible is. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about trusting in the work of Jesus on your behalf and receiving the free gift of salvation. That, there's a huge, huge difference between Christianity and religion. One of them leads to slavery. The other one sets you free. And so if you're investigating Jesus, I would just encourage you not to move past that this morning, but maybe just to think on it, to, to, let, the, the, to let the possibility of that being true actually sink into your heart and soul, that God loves you no matter what. We, we, so we've covered... <laughs> the where we should praise him. We've covered the for what we should praise him very quickly. How should we praise him? Look at verse three through five. This is cool. Every musician's favorite section of scripture. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. All the drummers said amen, and the people in the front row said maybe sometimes. <laughs> Depends on how loud that clashing is, you know what I mean? Um, but you, you kind of read that, right? And, and at first, it, 
it just kind of seems like we're just being told to praise him with all manners of musical instruments. And we absolutely are, don't get me wrong. But you know, if we kind of look into this a little bit, there's, there's more than just, there's more than just that. For example, let me take a few. The trumpet, for example. This, this was an instrument that was often used by leaders of this time to call people into gathering, uh, to call an assembly, uh, sometimes for worship or just another type of important gathering. Uh, at the trumpet sound, people knew it was time to congregate. Um, we can look at that and we can see within that a call, not just to praise the Lord with the trumpet, but to praise the Lord every time we gather as his people. To, to have hallelujah be what's on our lips every time we gather. Now, it might seem obvious, but sadly, it's not, you guys. It's not obvious anymore. There, there, there are too many gatherings today called church or worship where the Lord is not actually the one being praised. Um, and there's too many leaders being called pastors that, that are not preaching Christ and Him crucified like Paul tells us that our message should be. And they're instead trying to just gather crowds and say what the people want to hear and try to build a platform or make a name for themselves or whatever the goal may be. So when we read this, this is a call for all of us. All of us must make Christ the hero of every sermon and his mighty acts and excellent greatness the reason for our praise and worship. Every single time. Because church, nothing else is worth it and no one else deserves it. Just Jesus. The pipe or the organ, for example, that's mentioned. This is, is and was an instrument often used in music and musical worship. And so I would just say the same thing goes for the songs that we sing. Our, our music must also be Christ-centered. Telling the story of the gospel. Inviting sinners to see the Savior. Praising God alone for who he is and what he's done. And praise God for the music this morning. Thank you. It did that. Symbols. Let's talk about that one real quick. Symbols, right? They're just, they're just loud. Right? I mean, they're just really, really loud. Uh, but let me, let me just say something in defense of the symbols this morning. Okay, I feel like they get a bad rap. Church, we are supposed to make some noise when we worship. Can, can I just say that? Like, boldly and unashamed, we are to declare the worthiness and glory of God in the world and in our own lives. It, it's just like, too often, and I'm kind of like, I, this is like a dead horse that I beat all the time. Like, too often, I kind of sort of feel like the church today has forgotten that Jesus is alive. Like, like, the truth that we're singing, church, the object of, of our worship has the power to make dead men live again. Like, have we forgot that? Like that, we, look, here's what I'm saying. We, I gotta keep going. We should be loud with our message of hope because I'll tell you that the enemy is deafening with his message of despair. We gotta be loud. I could keep going. You know what I'm saying. Finally, for whom, or by whom, I'm sorry, should the Lord be praised? Verse six, this is so awesome. Look at verse six. It says this, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everything 
that has breath, everyone and everything, praise the Lord. See, we read that and we, we need to realize that there's, there is no air in any of our lungs that wasn't first the breath of our creator. That, that none of us exist without his power literally holding us together. We, I said literally already, but literally, like listen to this, literally, we, we breathe in and breathe out grace. We breathe in and breathe out grace. In fact, the, the Hebrew name of God the Father, we, we often pronounce Yahweh, uh, spelled Y-H-W-H. Um, it's actually said that, that those Hebrew consonants actually formulate the sound of our breathing in and out when it's said. And so in a, in a very real sense, uh, every time we take a breath and exhale from, from our very first breath out of the womb to our last breath in the world, we have the name of God on our lips. Isn't that awesome? It's powerful. And so in light of God and his majesty and all that he's done, his mercy and grace for sinners, his, his promise of restoration, in light of all of those things, every breath should be used to praise him. Every breath should be hallelujah. But I like to think that I'm a realist. Um, as good as it sounds, it's just not as simple as that, is it? Like, fo- follow me for just a second. Um, life is really hard sometimes. I, things get in the way, right? I've had one of the hardest years of my life this year. Uh, lost my father-in-law and tried to walk with my wife and just, it sucked. That's why I'm already crying. I wasn't planning on that. It was really, really hard. Um, I feel like this psalm, in light of its command to praise the Lord, also invites us to kind of look inward as followers of Jesus for a little bit. Like, I feel like it invites us to ask ourselves a question. Is there anything in our lives that's in the way of our worship? Um, is there anything that's hindering our praise of the Lord? For some of us, it's suffering. For some of us, there's, let's be honest, there's sin in some of our lives that we're hiding, that we're not addressing. Maybe it's a relationship that isn't glorifying to God. I don't know what it could be, but I do know this, that sin that remains unconfessed in the life of a believer is a poison. And its effects are devastating, more devastating than you could know. Um, I don't know if you guys went through Psalm 32 in your series, but we did in Elko. And and Psalm 32 records King David being crushed under the weight of his sin with Bathsheba. And it's just, it's crushing him. And uh, he says this in Psalm 32. He says, when I didn't speak about it, when I didn't confess it, when I held it in, he says, my bones were sick. He's like, I was miserable. And then he says, but... When I confessed it to the Lord, he forgave me. And you read and he's like, life rushed back into me. Joy came back. Maybe there's something that you need to confess and like David, find forgiveness from in the Lord. And if that's true, I would encourage you to do that. Please don't wait. What are you waiting for? Jesus is better than whatever sin has you convinced it's going to lead you to life and joy. 
Jesus is better. But maybe for others, and it kind of was my story, it's just kind of life itself, you know, that, that kind of makes praise distant from our lips. Like maybe it's fear, maybe it's doubt. Um, maybe it's just uncertainty of life or your future. Maybe some of you have a, a really tough decision coming up that could alter the course of your life and, and it, or, or change your entire dynamic of your family. And you're just not sure how to handle it. You're not sure what to do. Maybe ultimately it boils down to you're just struggling right now to trust the Lord. And because of that, praise hallelujah is too often missing from your lips. If that's you, I know that. I know that feeling. I experienced that. And what I want to do is I want to encourage you briefly with the reminder from Romans chapter 8 that is very familiar but often forgotten. And uh, in fact, if you would turn your Bibles there to Romans chapter 8, it's going to be on page 944 in the Bibles around the room. Romans chapter 8. Being reminded of this, this verse, this promise, got me through a lot of darkness this year. It got me back to a place of hallelujah. Um, in fact, if Romans 8, 28 is not underlined in your Bible, this one's worth it. <laughs> They're all worth it. But would you underline it? Romans 8, 28. Listen to what this says. It says, and we know, not we think, not we're hoping, not we kind of wish. Paul says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Have you ever thought about that? Like remember that, like taking it off of a bumper sticker or a Facebook post and put it in your life. That, that all of these things God is actively aware of, involved in, and working in for your good and his glory. I'll tell you that, that knowing that God is not distant or detached, but intimately involved, that, that gives me a lot of joy and, and freedom to trust him when things are cloudy for me, when I don't feel like praising him. God's got you. He, he, he's the creator of the universe, the one who gave you breath. He loves you deeply. He's not far from you. He's very, very close in your distress. He's at work for you and within you. Sparks, you can trust him. You can trust him. He's been faithful before. He will be faithful again. You can trust him. When we get to a place of trust in the Lord, that, that's where I found in my own journey this year that when I get to a place of trust in the Lord, that's when the hallelujah comes back into my mouth. <laughs> even when I'm crying, <laughs> even when I'm confused, hallelujah can be there when I know Jesus is with me. And, and I'll close with this. Um, I heard a story once that I felt beautifully illustrated what it, it means to trust God in and, and I just wanted to share this with you as we think about what it looks like to go from this day into next week with hallelujah on our lips. I wanted to share this story with you. Uh, I heard a story about a young boy about five or six years old who was stranded on the second floor of his parents' apartment building. And the first floor had caught fire. 
and uh, the parents, were, everybody's panicking, as you can imagine, and the parents run out outside. They're thinking that each one of them thought the other one had their boy. Um, so they rush outside through the smoke. They get out to the street, and they realize while they're standing on the street below that their son isn't with them. Um, they actually start to hear him screaming. They back up, and they look up to the second floor window, and they see their boy there hanging out the window, screaming and crying. Emergency vehicles hadn't shown up on the scene yet. The smoke out of the first floor windows was billowing out, so much so that as the kid was crying out the window, uh, the visibility to the street was impossible. The smoke was in his face. It was filling his eyes with tears. He just coughed and cried. He was horrified, very, very scared. And the story goes that the father is on the street, and he's yelling to his son. He's panicking, and he's he's like, son, son, you have to jump. You have to jump. I'll catch you, son. I promise I'll catch you. It'll be okay, but you have to jump. And horrified, this little boy's yelling back in tears. He's like, but daddy, I can't see you. I know, his father replied. I know, but I can see you. Church, oftentimes we look at life and the things that we're facing like, like looking through that small little porthole in our front doors where, where all we can see is something right in front of us and then smoke and haze all around it. It's not clear. We're not sure which direction to go. We can't see the right answer. We don't know. But, but God not only sees us, but he sees from the beginning to the end of eternity. And he invites us to trust him. He's shown his love for us, that that he's proven that he will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. So we can trust him because he sees us. He sees us and he loves us. So so Living Stones, for, for all of his mighty deeds, according to his excellent greatness, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise him in the good times. Praise him when things are hard. Praise the Lord for all that he's done and all that he is doing in your life. He is worthy and deserving like no one else is of our hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that that even through the uncertainty of life, you can see us. You're for us, you're with us, and you invite us into faith. God, would would hallelujah be ever so boldly on our lips? As I said, God, this world is, and the enemy is preaching a message of despair and hopelessness. We have a message of hope. Help us be louder than the world. God, may hallelujah be on the lips of every person who calls this their home. May we go into the fall bold and unashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your mercy and grace. We remember you now through song, through communion. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said.